everybody. Welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pakolsky. As always, framing this podcast around living your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love. Today is another incredible guest coming back to join us for a second time is Mr. Mike DeSanti, one of the most downloaded episodes of the Muscle Intelligence Podcast, which by the way, is now approaching 10 million downloads in our lifetime. So thank you to all of the amazing listeners. It's uh, never ceases to amaze me the support we continue to get uh, both from our listeners and our sponsors, our longtime supporters of the show. Um, so today, Mike joins me in-house to talk about his unique model and his unique approach to behavior change, whether you be a man or a woman. Changing your behaviors can be very, very hard. Creating an awareness around them and then a step-by-step process is really what Mike makes his living doing and ultimately leading men. I recently actually joined one of Mike's coaching groups called Find Your Tribe, which is a group of eight men simply discussing the challenges we're facing and how to overcome them. It's been an incredible experience. Uh, Mike is an absolute wealth of information and an absolute incredible man. And I'm super grateful to call him a friend and invite him back to the show. Today's podcast is brought to you by realmushrooms.com, the greatest quality mushrooms on the planet. They're organic they're well-sourced. They are not mycelinated grain, which is a big, big problem in industry right now. People are charging you by weight for grain, which is, again, not what we're after. We're after the, the fruiting body of the mushroom to get the real valuable ingredients. So thank you very much to Real Mushrooms for being a longtime sponsor of the podcast. Realmushrooms.com slash Ben will save you 30% off your first order. You can use the code MUSCLE if you're a returning customer to get 20% off. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the podcast. And like Mike DeSanti, we should have recorded the last 15 minutes. <laughs> so one of the most highly commented on uh, podcasts and one of the most highly downloaded podcasts was the man sitting next to me. Welcome, brother. Oh, I really, really appreciate that. I'm, yeah. I'm humbled by it. Yeah, man. And uh, it was it was an incredible experience. I was so grateful to connect with you. And like you said, it was almost three years to the day. So I'm super grateful to have you back here. Uh, it's, it's great to be back and much needed, I think. Yeah, yeah I think so, For both man. of us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you, in the meantime, you, you've been married, you've written a book, and you continue to grow your uh, men's group, helping men find purpose. And, and you know, how would you articulate exactly what you're doing with these groups? You know, uh, first of all, thanks again for the opportunity here, and it's great to see you again. With the groups, you know, I, what we're really looking at, I think, is, is readdressing or, or giving some clarity around the cultural conversation of men and masculinity with and my ultimate goal is to really have men shift from being one-dimensional to being dynamic. And a lot of the tools and the skill sets that we're using and the experiences that we're using is really having the, the shift of just seeking success to distinguishing that to laying foundations for fulfillment and being a dynamic man, a, a dynamic leader, having confidence and clarity in your life and in your vision and living in the in the world and operating a life from that place rather than yeah how do i just go grab something seek something accomplish something and then think that that's going to fix every other area of my life that sounds like such a worthy ideal right Uh, and and sometimes people are pursuing things that you're like well that is that a worthy ideal but as you said they don't have enough intention they don't have enough kind of uh, foresight or awareness to go this thing i'm working to may not be something that fulfills me. And it's not an intentional choice in the beginning. It's just like, oh, that, it's like the shiny red object syndrome. Yeah. Right? So how do we, how do we then, uh, you know, we talk about process. What does it look like to be start, start becoming aware of intentionality? 
You know, there's, there's uh, you know, last time I was here, we talked about context and worldview and paradigm. And I think one of the most important things is that when we are looking at our motives or our motivations, to actually question, like, why? Why and who's really telling me that? Ah, beautiful. There's so many men, we were talking about it earlier, yeah. that, that are really like head down, barreling through to accomplish something. Someone else's it, values. A lot of times it's my parents' values, my yeah, culture's society, values, yeah, yeah. society's values, my religion's values, where I'm like, and, and when they actually stop and pause, and I say, well, who's really that voice in your head that's motivating you toward that? And also... What are you associating with by accomplishing it? Right. And so, uh, well, I'll, I'll be free and I'll be happy, fulfilled. And then as they start to talk it out loud and really break it down and distinguish it, like, well, hold on, whose voice is that in your head? And what's the motivating factor for it? What do you associate with it? Right. And what are the, what are the prices you're actually paying along the way too? Who are you trying to prove right? Who are you trying to prove or, right? Or wrong. Also, yeah, yeah, and also too is like, are there priorities that are suffering along this, what we may agree or disagree is a noble endeavor? Right. Are you, what, what's your time with your family like? What are your relationships, your marriage like? What's your health like? I mean, how many times have we seen, you know, a man get to some level of success, but his health is destroyed in the, in the process? Yeah. Or they accomplish so. something and then their marriage is in the gutter. Yeah. And we see it over and over and over again because that narrative is really pointing towards men to you just go produce you go accomplish get the status get yeah. the money and then you could live your best life in the like what last 11 years of it or something you know it's funny i, I said i just turned 40 and i set the 10-year goals you know for 40 to 50 and one of my friend goes yeah but what, what happens when you get terminal cancer at 49 so i said all these financial goals and i was like accomplishment goals and he goes yeah what happens when you do that oh damn you <laughs> i have to think about that so I mean, it's it's right. Like we're we're all we're all pursuing these worthy or maybe unworthy ideals, and we don't stop to question uh, what's going to be sacrificed along the way. So how then, in your um, experience, does a man or a woman ultimately um, one become aware of their um, their their direction and, and then start to maybe question where those came from? So there, I, I really break down the formula that I use in all of my coaching into a simple equation, is that results are awareness plus committed action. And so the awareness is great. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's necessary and much needed to question your belief systems, your paradigm, your worldview, whose voice is that in my head, and all those limiting beliefs. And I, I always talk about uh, when clients are trying to uh, convince me of their limitations, it's a very simple question is well, says who right oh wait says me or says my parents says my culture I'm like, all right well great if it says you and you could say something else mm -hmm. we, we've got to develop that that awareness first but a lot of times and i think uh, a challenge currently right now with all personal development and all this self-help and all this awareness is that people think that awareness is all i need but you need awareness plus a new committed action you've got to put that awareness into a, a deliberate direction. I say awareness is like the 50-yard line. Committed action is the end zone. Right. They're not the same thing. Right. And I think uh, one of the most valuable things to re-identify and distinguish is really the barometer of fulfillment. 
you said, like, well, what are the prices I'm paying for that endeavor? And what are the prices I'm paying for moving forward with trying to accomplish X, Y, or Z? And one of the things I distinguish in my book is between success and fulfillment. Success is a particular accomplishment in a particular domain of your life. Maybe it's in your health or in your finances, your marriage. It's, a, it's, a, it's an accomplishment in a particular domain of life. The way I distinguish that from fulfillment is where all the domains of my life get the appropriate amount of love and attention. Hmm. That my health gets the appropriate amount of love and attention. My finances get the appropriate amount of love and attention. My marriage, my children, my leisure life, my travel life, the things I love to do that I don't get paid for, that they all receive the appropriate amount of love and attention. And I use the word appropriate deliberately because they're not equal. It's different. Person yeah, to person? Absolutely. So how do we know? How, how do we know what, what's appropriate, right? Is it just like what makes me feel best? Well, what I would say is that all of those areas, those domains, a, a domain in life is an area that yeah. deserves love and attention. Yeah. So if an area or a domain of life is suffering, that's a great indicator and barometer to me that it needs extra love and attention. Mm. And I, as a man, as a human being, it's on me and my responsibility to recalibrate. Huh to recalibrate, okay, maybe I'm giving too much love and attention to career over here. And meanwhile, my wife is saying, hey, uh, I feel like I don't see you and you're not present. Well, that's, a, that's great feedback that something is suffering, yeah. that something's being harmed. And so for a dynamic man, that's, that's the man that could have all of his commitments, all of his domains and areas be operating in excellence, that everything is actually operating to the degree where it's healthy. Right. And that, that and sounds that's, like it. That's that, a whole recalibration for most men. Right. That sounds like a, you know, a worthy idea. That sounds like, yes, I want to get there. But uh, what if uh, what's going through in my head right now is like, uh, I, I'm already struggling in this area, in this area, in this area. Like, and, and I'm, even the area where I'm putting most time, maybe I'm struggling there too. So what does the recalibration look like? And how do I, how do I maybe improve efficiency? Maybe we change the goal line. Like, what are, what are the steps and processes behind one of the biggest things that I do in, in my courses, we do an honest audit. Let's list these domains, health, finance, marriage, relationships, you know, friendships and family, yeah. you know, our children, our, our, uh, you know, our finances, our leisure, our spiritual life. And let's do an honest audit of them rather than let's just mix them all together mm-hmm. and think like, oh, my, my career is going to fix all of them. It's not. We have to really take a holistic view of our life as a, uh, you know, an interrelated web. But we also have to distinguish it as, okay, is this struggling? Is this, you know, right now maybe it's challenged or uh, if, I, if I stick with it, with what I'm doing, like it'll move north to it's operating smoothly or sustainably. And so we've, we've actually got to break down those domains, not into, well, this sucks or this is great, but into actually like, wait, if, if I don't intervene here, it's leading towards something destructive. Mm-hmm. If I don't intervene here in my health, if I don't interrupt it or intervene, this is going to lead somewhere that's destructive and harmful. If I don't intervene right now in my marriage and really seek the guidance or the skill set or the communication, like this is going south. This is going to become harmed or really suffer. Right. And so we've got to distinguish that first and say, okay, these areas are working. They're producing the results that I want. Uh, I they're healthy, they're, they're uh, 
you know, interdependent, they're working. And so now, what over here really is the new priority? What needs to really move north? And maybe for some, and those are different seasons. Totally. There's a season when you start a business, like I hope that that's your main priority. Yeah. And then there's a season when maybe you get married, I hope that's your main priority. And there's a season where, you know what, right now, my health, that, that needs to be the main priority. And then using um, our skills of awareness, our gift of awareness to say, how much belongs here, how much belongs here, how much belongs here. And that's an evolution. It's a, I don't think that's a summit. I think that's actually something that's very fluid and evolving. Right. Because every quarter, every year, right. every 10 years, like you just did a 10-year audit. Yeah. I hope your priorities at 40 were a little different than, than your priorities at 20. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure they were. That was actually my, my next question is like, how often should people be setting these priorities, right? Like how often we should, would be, should we be reflecting and, and looking through, you know, here's what I've done for the last, you know, set period of time. Here's what I've done, what I intend to do for the next period of time. Because I think most people go through life and it's never intentional, right? It's yeah. like, I'm just going to arrive and I'm, I'm going to work hard, quote unquote, in that area. Right. It's like working hard on transforming your body. It doesn't work. Like if with that, unless you have very specific actions and you know that they're the right actions, right. You, you're not going to end up where you want to go. I think, uh, I think you, you, you nailed it because there's, there's something I, I call, it's a natural law, but it's the law of accuracy. The law of accuracy states that we must put our, our priority energy, our focused energy into what's most important in that season of life. And so there's so many people that are spending so much energy. They're just spending it in inaccurate places, non-priority places, or non-essential places. And so to answer your question, I'm a big proponent of five-year blocks. I think people underestimate how much they can move and intentionally adjust the needle of their life and the trajectory of their future. I think they radically underestimate what you could actually do in a five-year chunk. So with a lot of my clients, what we do is we actually do a five-year from now, and now let's reverse goal set it. Let's reverse engineer it to three years, two years. Then I bring it down to a year and 90 days. The 90-day mark, the seasonal mark, or the quarterly mark, for me is a, is a constant audit and recalibration of, yeah. this is where I said I want to be in five years. Well, what am I doing now that's trending me toward it right. or trending me further away from it? And that's really where I think those honest audits should really actually happen quarterly. And it takes pressure off 90 days, doesn't it? When, when, you, when you stretch the timeline out five or 10 years, it takes the pressure off, I think, the 90 days. So most people are like, I got to get this done this week and this day. Whereas if, like, if you set a 90-day timeline or a 90-day goal, yet you know it it's all has to fit into the big picture of five or right. 10 years, you're like, yeah, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in a... In a intelligent intentional way um but it's not so much pressure like it's not a sprint as much as it's just like taking consistent daily action without a doubt there's yeah. a there's a philosophy out of zen buddhism called kaizen yeah and kaizen says that most people when they look at their future they're actually overwhelmed and paralyzed yeah. by it now that's a, one population where now they just paralysis by analysis and they take no action mm -hmm. then you have the other population that looks at their just says, let me bulldoze my life and get there as fast as I can. Right. And when I'm there, I'll enjoy the right. summit. I have a heart attack in the meantime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Destroy my health and marriage along the way. Yep. Which, and there's these two populations. But it's really from this overwhelm of the future. And what Kaizen really promotes and, and teaches, get clear on that and then let it go. 
Hmm. And then bring all that energy and all that focus and for some people even all that obsession and bring it to here and now and make one advancement every day. Even if it's an inch, advance something every day. Advance a domain every day. Advance your health, your finances, your marriage. Advance it every day, even if it's by an inch. And then what Kaizen says, if you do that consistently and repetitively over time, you end up where your, your uh, original desire was in the first place. Yeah, you gather momentum. You have momentum, but you also have accuracy through the blueprint that you've set up. And that intention or that vision is what gives our everyday actions meaning. Yeah. Without the intention, without the direction or the bullseye or the aim, what you do every day, your habits, your behaviors, your thinking, they don't have as meaning. So, for instance, we're here, Florida. You know, if I say to you, Ben, I want to go for a drive, well, then any road will work. But if I get on I-95 North, I start driving towards New York City, like, all right, great. I said I wanted to go for a drive. But the moment I tell you my end goal is L.A., I'm automatically now on the wrong road. The road's the road. The road's neutral. Right. But it was my intention and my vision. The moment I establish the vision, it now develops or, or tests, am I on the right, wrong, or the wrong road? I could have all the skill sets. I could drive that road better than anyone in, in the world. Right. I'm never going to get to my desired outcome. Right. I, I have to recalibrate and re-audit based on the vision that I have are the actions, the thinkings, the patterns, the habits that I'm doing now, are they trending toward what I say I want or are they trending away from it? And I have to be honest. About it. Okay, so that's a great segue into coming back to what we were talking about is like establishing these worthy ideals, establishing the, maybe the, the silos of life that we want to identify as things we want to move. So do you have preordained sections that you suggest people address or is it like, hey, you decide what areas of your life you want to focus on improving? I think there's common ones that are, that are universal. And then I also think that there's some that become maybe more genuine. Or, but the universal domains, I, I strongly believe that everyone gives love and attention to are health, your finance or career, your marriage, which is distinct from your other relationships. Right. If you choose to be married, you get to do extra work. Yeah. There's, then there's relationships, <laughs> yeah. which are plural. And then there's your spiritual life. And then there's your leisure life. The things you love to do that you're passionate about, but you don't make money doing them. Yeah. You know, so for some people like me, like sometimes that blends. Yep. Uh, but we've got to distinguish it. And so those, I think, are the universal ones. And then I think for some people, they have certain passions that they know, my life would be incomplete without this. And so I say, great, add it in. Treat it as a domain. Remember, a domain is anything that deserves or requires love and attention. Right. So you may have something unique to you that's genuine and unique to you that may not be universal or translate, but if it is genuine and authentic and unique to you, required that you pay attention to yeah. breathe and, and really breathe life into it. In the world we live in, there's, it seems like there's an endless number of potential domains. And then even if I identify the, the most important domains to me, identifying what the path may look like or what the, the skills and habits and process may look like in that domain can be very, very challenging and very sure, confusing. Overwhelming. Yeah, how do, how do I start? The, the biggest thing is priority. The biggest thing is, is and I, I say this to my clients all the time, is you know, energy is unlimited, but focused energy is not. Mm. We only have a finite amount of focus. I cannot treat everything the same. Right. I can't treat everyone the same. I don't treat acquaintances like I treat my wife. I don't treat my wife like acquaintances. Right. So everything matters, but not everything matters equally. 
So I, I must, as a dynamic man, I must identify what is most priority. So for instance, like there's a thousand different skill sets or systems or, but I, I have to focus on what is priority. And the, the easiest way I say it is, you got to kill the alligator closest to the boat first. You know, there is no sense in talking about an alligator that's 50 yards away when there's one crawling into my canoe right now. Yeah. I must address the alligator closest to the boat first. I must kill that. And then I must move on in a sequence. But what establishes that sequence, I was saying before, the law of accuracy, the law of accuracy shows us that we must highlight what is most priority and important and essential. Now I use those domains as these are my targets. I must make sure that I give love and attention every day to my marriage, to my health, to my finances, my career, my, my relationships, even if it's by an inch. But I, I let those stand out above everything else. And every day I give them love and attention because I'm, I'm saying that everything matters, but this is what matters most. For me. Then after I highlight it as a priority, then I go into what I call the law of sequence, which means, all right, I give love and attention to that first, but then what's next and what's next and what's next? So, so many people have all the right ingredients, sure. but if you do your ingredients out of sequence, you're never going to produce the result that you do you set your days up that way, intentionally starting with the, the biggest priority first in the day sequentially? Or, like, you know, often people will say, hey, my morning routine is based around this. Is that how you tend to prioritize time based on the size of, of the priority to you? So what I typically do is on Sunday, I get really intentional and clear about my week. Yep. And I list there's certain things that need to happen this week for me to advance the needle forward in my business or in my marriage or relationship, whatever it is. On Sunday, I, I list those things out, but then I highlight what must happen, what's essential, what's priority. Now for me, since I work for myself and I establish my own schedule, I found that for me, for sequence, first thing in the morning, addressing priority is the best thing. I always feel that we should address what's longest, hardest, or most priority first. Then later in the day, I get to my checklist or my Stuff that, oh, this would be great if I had this happen, or I would love to check this box off. That would be great. So for me, I'm a big fan of what's priority goes first thing, because I've also found that as you go later in the day, we become more and more susceptible to life circumstances. To the whirlwind. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the firefighters that we all become, and like, oh, I got this text from my wife or my ex or my boss or whatever. I just feel as the day goes on, we become more susceptible to life circumstances. Yeah. Now, that being said, I also understand there's people that work nights or have children or anything like that. What, what must have to happen, or excuse me, what has to happen is that each day must have a section of priority time. So for some people, maybe young parents, the children are sleeping at 7 a.m. and now they finally have quiet time. That's great use that then. I'm not going to say everyone needs to live the way I do. I would say, though, in order to move that needle sustainably forward, repetitively forward, every day must have intentional priority. What does yours look like? Mine's the... Yeah. What, is it, what yeah. does it look... What does that time look like? My time is any is before noon. Okay. It's before noon. That's my focus And what time. exists in it? So I, let, me, let me back up. What I actually do is I, I look more holistically at the week, and Monday is my priority time. So I don't coach on Monday. My Mondays are for creativity. They're for meetings with my teams. They're for meeting with my assistant. They're really more for, all right, what's the, what's the creative 
spectrum that we're working with this week? What needs to happen by Friday afternoon or, or close of business? So I, I actually move all my coaching to Tuesday through Friday. And Monday is really my priority, my priority day. So those are the creative endeavors. Those are programs. Those are the adjustments that I get to make. Those are the things that really move my business forward. Uh, then there's also my exercise. Like if I don't exercise on Monday, that's a, you know, that throws off a, a new rhythm or pattern for the week. So I'm really intentional about that. And then I always cook dinner Monday night. Do salmon. Beautiful. Yeah. Like, so it, it's my, my week is very intentional. Then my uh, Tuesday through Friday is I first wake up, I do my morning routine, and then I look at you know, what is the most essential thing today. I address it, and then I get to my coaching in late morning or early afternoon. Yeah. And then I wrap up by four or five every day, and then that's family. Does having intentionality require a purpose? Require require. So when we spoke about the, the kind of the definition of purpose, um, does being intentional in your day necessitate having this this end result or this this purpose that you're living in? I think it instigates it and fuels it. You know, if someone says you did that intentionally, you know, they're 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 connoting that purpose. you did it on purpose. Yeah. You did it deliberately. And I think there's a big challenge right now for a lot of the men that I work with. Like a lot of them come to me and they say, you know, I've accomplished great things and I've been successful, but I feel like I need to find purpose in life. And I, I think it's a really common challenge right now. And even just the, with the language and the context of find purpose already indicates like it's somewhere outside of them. And it's interesting because I'll actually say like, all right, well, let's just take your life your circumstances and your conditions right now and let's just inject doing what you're doing deliberately intentionally and doing it on purpose and then purpose rather than something we need to go find or there. something we need to summit we're actually saying like oh it's here i have this you know in the east they call it your dharma yeah. like your unique spiritual fingerprint yeah what makes you unique well if i start to now shift my focus and say Everything that I'm doing today, I'm going to do it intentionally, deliberately, on purpose. Mm -hmm. Then, rather than the seeking of purpose or finding of purpose, purpose becomes right a process of unraveling, a process of awakening and evolving. So then the disparity is the lack of fulfillment. So the thing that you're purposeful toward is not necessarily leading to fulfillment. Say that again. Um, if you don't feel like you have a purpose, if you don't feel like purpose is... If you don't, maybe if you don't feel fulfilled, actually, um, maybe the things that you're purposeful toward are not the things you should be purposeful toward. Right, yeah. right, and that's why that's why I'm so adamant about you know let's recalibrate that focused energy because the moment I recalibrate that focused energy, I say this is this is what's most essential. This is what's priority. This is what yeah. my focused energy and my love and attention deserve. That's a completely different way of operating in the world. Whereas most men are actually head down, barreling through it. And once I get here, then I'll be happy and fulfilled and peaceful and right. confident. Or, you know, the other dilemma is I'm so afraid of making a mistake. I'm not going to take any action at mm -hmm. all. And I'll just pander my entire life. Well, then that's the man that wakes up one day and is like, oh, God, I didn't, I didn't fulfill anything of that deeper purpose that I you know, I, I let that get suppressed and quiet in me.
Right. So I think the shift in the paradigm is, is recalibrating and redesigning that focused attention. And as we do that, like you said earlier, there's a momentum that builds. There's a momentum that builds. Of, it's really a, mo- a momentum of effectivity, of being effective with, hey, I, I said this is what I was going to do, and I did it, and I made it happen, and I did it, and I did it consistently. And I move the needle further and further and further away with consistency and with a commitment to mastery and with repetition over and over and over again. And yet, I didn't only do it here. I did it all around in this holistic web of my interconnectedness of my life, which, by the way, I am the common denominator of. That's what people forget when we silo, like you said earlier. When we silo everything, we're like, well, what's that have to do with that? Everything. Right. You're the common denominator of all of it. Right. And so your health affects your marriage and your marriage affects your business and your business affects your spiritual life. It's all interrelated and interconnected. And when I put myself at the center of that, that's not selfish. That's wise. That's self-centered. Right. That means I'm centered in the priority of self. And then from that place, I am the one that determines what cups get filled to what capacity. Right. So I still want to dive a little bit deeper into exploring your what brings you fulfillment. So as we spoke about briefly, there's so much um, that's put into your brain that isn't yours. Society puts it there. Your parents put it there. Uh, maybe you put it there based on what you think will fulfill you. Yeah. So I think there's probably, uh, you know, I've gone through that. We talked about the second mountain. Yeah. And, and uh, so I'd like to explore a little bit more there on maybe how can someone start um, changing, questioning, exploring those belief systems around, uh, you know, I, I feel as though this is what I want, right? I want to make money. I want to build muscle. I want to do whatever it happens to be. Um, but how do I know if that's my actual mm-hmm. intention? You know, th- that's a great question because I think it is a fusion. Some, even for some people, it's actually somewhat of a trap. And I, w- I would say first, what I said before is, says who? I think that's such a valuable, interruptive question. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm seeking. This is what I'm after. Because it's valuable. Great. Says who? If it says you, then by all means, have at it. But is it says your parents? Right. Is it says your culture? Is it says all that? Yeah. And if it is, that's also fine. But you got to also be honest about, well, is that genuinely what is motivating you forward? The word that comes up is should. Like should. If I hear should, I'm like... What's that? Tell me about that. What's that right there, right? Totally. Yeah. Because should is technically a judgment. Yeah. And it's also an unconscious or underlying assumption that this is something I must do or this is the way Why? things are. Right. This is the way things are. So if we live too long with this is the way things are, which are really underlying assumptions that we pick up when we're young, this is the way things are. This is what I learned from my mother, father, teacher, preacher. They're underlying assumptions that operate unconsciously under the surface of our, our life and under our, our motivation. And when, we're, when we interrupt them, we say, hold on, says who? Mm, yeah. Says who? Like, what is the motivating force for me here? Now, if we don't question it, here's what happens. If we don't question it, if we don't use awareness as a, a, a tool of intervention or interruption, then life goes on what's called inevitability. This is just the way things are. Right. This is just how men are. 
This is just how women are. This is just how it is. This is just how white people are. It's just how black people are. It's just how, it's just how society is. Right. We live in this perpetual state of inevitability. Now, if you live in inevitability for too long, inev- inevitability turns to resignation. This is just the way that it is. There's nothing I can do about mm-hmm. it. This, there's nothing I can do about it. That's just who I am. Nothing I can do about it. That's just the way women are. Nothing I can do about it. That's just the way men are. Nothing I can do about it. That's just the way my body is. That's just the way life is. That's just the way money is. Yeah. There's nothing I can do about it. Those are the it. cards I was dealt. Those are the cards I was dealt. Yeah. And that resignation deepens that victimhood. Now, when we intervene in that, we intervene in our thinking. We say, hold on. Let me question what I'm headed towards, what I'm motivated by, what I'm seeking, what I'm aimed at. It says who, and I interrupt that. Then I'm creating some space where I can then genuinely continue, or I could genuinely shift and make a new choice. Right. I, can make, I could actually go into a whole transformation and metamorphosis. Yeah. That's a possibility, but it comes with first that initial interruption of says who. Second, to answer your question is, I said before, what is it that I associate that end goal with? So if I associate this accomplishment with yeah what are you going to get what's it going to do for freedom you? Yeah. happiness joy if i associate it with that and i'm not consciously and deliberately interjecting that into the process now there is absolutely no, no chance promise. <laughs> no chance there is no promise that yeah. i'm going to get there and be like oh great now i feel it right. now i've arrived right. and now cuz here's the thing i always say like all right when you get there and you accomplish it who decides you're going to experience joy? Me. Like, great. Why don't you choose that now? Why waste the time? Right. Why wait all that time to experience joy? You can't yeah. experience it here now. And so what happens is, is if, if you associate that end goal with joy or commitment or happiness or, or freedom or fulfillment, and you're not experiencing it here and now, now it's time for you to, going back to what we said, deliberately inject those states of being into here and now and then what happens is the end goal doesn't become an escape from your current reality it becomes an enhancement and and so many people are living from like peak experience to peak experience to experience and i'm like that's a very tumultuous way of living because the peak experiences bring usually the equal lows Mm -hmm. and rather for me I, i with fulfillment and what we're talking about here is Let's actually raise the sea level yeah. of our everyday life because I would, I, I, I would rather fall in love and master the mundane and let peak experiences be an enhancement of the mundane everyday life rather than an escape from it. I draw a beautiful parallel with fitness. So, so many people uh, aspire for a transformation. Let's say we're going to do a 12 week transformation and they, they take the attitude of, I have the plan, I'm just going to follow it and they have to follow it and they have to go work out and they have to eat these foods and they accomplish the goal and they get there and that's probably the only way they, they ever sustain it because the process was dreadful. Whereas if they do the exact same process and they, and they take the, pers- the perspective of, I get to do this. Yes. I feel so blessed. It's the, the victim versus the empowerment, right? Without a doubt. And if we just take that empowerment mindset, the whole process changes because it starts to, as you say, snowball and gain momentum. Like, gosh, I'm actually enjoying this more Correct. rather than just, oh, I have to do it. I'm dreading it. And yet the process is the same for both people. Exactly the it's, same. It, what, what, what have to and get to is actually an yeah. attitude. Yeah. That's, that's the distinction choice. between them. It's the choice of an attitude. And, that when I, and here's, here's the thing is what a lot of people don't 
really uh, understand or are unaware of is that as human beings, you have the power to choose your mood and attitude. And most people are like, no, my, I, my attitude is based on the weather. It's based on my wife and, and my, my parents. Husband. <laughs> it's based on whether my kids are p- cooperating or not. And I'm like, right. wow. So here's the thing is if you forget that you have the power to choose your mood and attitude, also have the power to choose your perspective as a human being, the moment you understand that or remember that, you now have all the power and all the agency and all the responsibility. But if you're susceptible or a victim to your moods, attitudes, or to your history, or to your worldview or paradigm or context, you're, you're unconsciously limiting yourself in a way of, this is just who I am. Yeah. There's nothing I could do about it. Do you and have any... Life just that, that do you have any daily cycle. triggers for yourself? Like someone's like, oh, I, I feel myself going down that, that path of, or and I'm sure you maybe passed it by now, but is there anything that you say to yourself that that's the conscious flip, right? I always just say like flip the switch, going from that attitude of victimhood into empowerment. Do you have something that's like that, that trigger for you? There's, um, you know, a, a lot of times people th- become a victim to their moods or their attitudes or their feelings or whatever yeah or ultimately what those become are unconscious reactions those unconscious reactions come from triggers like you're saying or emotional triggers that i associate with an event this happened therefore now i feel this way someone said this therefore now i feel this way but there's something in between there that most people are unconscious of and in between an event and a reaction is a story or a narrative. Right. A narrative is, or narrative are, narratives are the things I tell myself about myself, about people, or about the world. And so what happens is, is if an event happens and now I'm all bent out of shape about it, I have to intervene in my thinking or in my reaction and say, what am I making this mean? What am I making this mean? This is an event. This happened. This happened, someone said this, someone looked at me this way, or X, Y, or Z. What am I making it mean? The moment I I actually shift that focus, I actually give power back to myself. Rather than, well, this happened, so therefore it means this, and now I'm screwed. Well, now I'm a victim to how I feel about it. And so that intervention for me is, hold on, this happened, what am I making it mean? What am I making it mean about me? What am I making it mean about people? What am I making it about life or the world? And what, if you can identify the narrative, uh, I did, I'm, I'm not enough, I did something wrong, I'm unworthy, people aren't to be trusted, or uh, people always let me down, life sucks. Yeah. If, the moment I can identify the narrative, I can interrupt the reaction. But most people just go from event, reaction, event, reaction, right. event, And then they reaction. get stuck in it, right? You know, I, a, I know so many people just get stuck in that narrative of like you know, the angry, the, the, the depressive, the victimhood and they can't pull themselves out well what happens there is that over time becomes an identity yep and so that i was saying it before it's like this is just who i am yep then it becomes an identity but it's an unconscious identity it's not an authentic identity. and that unconscious identity becomes well i'm just the angry guy habit i'm the pissed off guy i'm the cold guy or the closed off guy or i'm the people pleaser and And it's served them to this point and they keep riding that wave but that, see, that's the thing that I think a lot of people are unconscious is pointed to, is human beings are creatures of value. Yeah. We get something playing. So the cold guy and the angry guy or the pissed off guy, he gets something. He gets to keep people at bay. Yep. 
He gets to not be vulnerable. He gets to avoid intimacy. And also the, the people pleaser, the nice guy, the panderer. He gets approval and he gets people to like him and he gets, you know, to keep the peace and not have confrontation. We get stuff for it. Yep. Now, I'm not saying that's healthy. It's just familiar. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, what a lot of uh, human beings are unconscious to is we default to what's familiar, not necessarily what's healthy. And so that, that's where I, I look at those patterns that you're talking about. Like I say this all the time to my clients. You don't rise to the level of your expectations. You default to the level of your system. So if you're unconscious to these systems, events are going to happen and things are going to happen and things will be said and people do behave a certain way. We default to those systems where, well, I just have the identity. I'm the pissed off guy. I'm the angry guy. I'm the, you know, don't rock the boat guy. Right. But there's prices that we pay in that too. And we, we, we miss out on authenticity, honesty, yeah. purpose, value, freedom, peace of mind. When you add them, you put them close to you. They don't add up, but we've got a consciousness you know, next to each other, to then make a new choice and decision. One of the beautiful things that's happened for me in the last maybe 12 or 18 months, maybe 24 months, is I've taken on this um, belief that I can choose my belief systems. So every time I become aware of a belief system, I ask myself, is this serving me? And if, if it's cr creating pain in my life, then I intentionally choose to seek a new belief system. And since doing that, I feel like it's such a, such a position of empowerment. Like there's nothing in my life that I'm like, oh, that belief right now is not serving me. I'm going to choose to have a different one. And uh, gosh, I'm, I'm not sure how I came to that kind of conclusion that I can just try it on. It's like trying on a new shirt. It's like, oh, that shirt doesn't look good today. Yeah. I'm going to wear a different color. Yeah. Right? And uh, I think as soon as I took that on, it just was um, a beautiful place to exist because nothing now is attached. I'm not attached to a lot. And or, well, that may not be the right word. But I'm not, um, I don't get stuck yes. in, in my own way. But the, you point to something that's incredibly powerful, is a lot of people are unconscious that I can choose yep. a new belief system. I could choose a new paradigm. I could choose a new filter. I could choose new habits, new moods, new attitudes, new perspective. The most powerful place a human being can stand is in the place of choice, that I, I have choice in the experience of my life. The moment you, you're just saying, I think it's, powerful and brilliant the moment you choose this is what i choose and i choose all of it the moment you do that you're actually now empowering you to empower is to give authority to so when you empower yourself and you empower your your yourself and your, your perspective and your choice you're giving authority back to yourself mm -hmm. rather than your circumstances your history your limiting narratives your parents or your culture or your context from before you're actually saying hold on i am the generator of my experience of my life i choose my belief systems my moods my attitudes my choices my endeavors my decisions all of it that at first may sound daunting but correct me if i'm wrong it's incredibly relieving totally relaxing yeah. and liberating and and when i find things that i i'm steadfast in or i'm like attached to 
I'll intentionally seek someone out who has the opposing viewpoint. Yes. Because like I want to hear wh why you believe that. Like I want to hear why that's so important to you in a like, you know the vegan versus carnivore conversation. Sure. Right? It's like yeah. if I'm a carnivore, the first thing I'm doing is I'm going to go find the the world's greatest vegan or the world's worst adam is adamant vegan. Like tell right. me why. Like yeah. explain this to me. And short of it just being an emotional attachment, which 99% of the time it is. Like, if you can give me a rational conversation, it allows me to meet somewhere in the middle. Sure. And I think that's the ideal place to be. Because now, like, hey, in this situation, maybe I choose to be vegan. Yes. In this situation, maybe I choose to be, you know, that's just an example that the audience will get. But it's it's somewhere in the middle, right? And if I can if I can find the rational of both sides, then it just becomes a tool rather than an attachment. Well, the, the, the other beauty of that is that genuine communication is built upon the willingness to understand. Yeah. And if I, have, if I don't have a willingness to understand, then I'm going to go into my old unconscious belief systems just to be right about things. Yep. That, that creates what's called a position. Positions, the need to be right, create opposition. Correct. And now we're and just and segregation. <laughs> now yep. we're just going to hunker down, and you're in that camp, and I'm in this camp. Divisiveness like the world of, right now. Of exactly. And yep. eventually, if it comes to this, we'll shoot each other over it. And yeah. we've been doing it for millennia but <laughs> i love that you could say it with a big smile on your face man it's truthfully because it, it's just, I just ludicrous get a kick out of, yeah, it's of ludicrous. human beings yeah I, I we are a fascinatingly absurd species <laughs> <laughs> but we do it i mean yeah. think about it. we've been we've been doing it for millennia of like here's the line in the sand right my god looks this way and your god looks that way and if you don't agree bang you're dead you and you. it just creates more and more polarization whereas really there's my authentic truth, there's your authentic truth, and the truth, right. which I have no uh, monopoly on, is right. probably somewhere in the middle. And it doesn't matter. And it, it, it ultimately it, it, doesn't matter. No. And I, I think of it this way, like, if I were to take ultimate reality and put it through a paper shredder, you get your little sliver and I get my little sliver. Right. And the best we could do is, hey, tell me about your sliver. Right. Let me into your world. Right. Let me into, how do you see it that way? I may agree with it, I may disagree with it, I may keep it, I may disregard it, but at least I, I, want, I have to seek to understand. And that creates, that builds bridges. It doesn't mean we need to agree on everything, it just means let me into your worldview. I'm right. interested, I'm curious. Your purpose serves you, mine serves me. Until yours starts to infringe on me, I don't care. When it starts to infringe, let's have a conversation, let's see how we can find some middle ground. But that's that's the only way we are going to coexist yeah. as a species is not to all agree on everything, right. but to learn how to be in relationship with each other. And I, I think maybe learn once again how to disagree and also bless your worldview. This is totally. your worldview. This serves this is you. mine. Yeah, it's, it, holds up, it holds up for you. If That's it holds up, awesome. by all means. Yeah. You know. So I'm holding in my hand the new man emerging. An Awakening Man's Guide to Living a Life of Purpose, Passion, Freedom, and Fulfillment. And uh, the last time we met, this book was not in existence, and now it is. No. Tell me about it. You know, it's, uh, it's one, of those, I, the, one of those stories where I look back and I'm like, wow, I cannot believe that happened. When we first met three years ago, I, I don't even think this was a, 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 I don't even think it was an innovation in my mind yet. Right. And what happened was the way that this book was written was in the middle of the night, I uh, woke up, and I sleep really well. My wife makes fun of me all the time. But I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had these words come to me. 
And uh, I couldn't go back to sleep, so I went into my office and I started writing, maybe 3 o'clock in the morning. And then the next night it happened, and then the next night it happened, and then the next night it happened. And I, uh, at the time, my, my wife had said, what are you doing? Why do you keep getting up in the middle of the night? And I said, I don't know. But these words are coming to me, and I, I, I'm having a hard time going back to sleep. But once I get them out, I, I'm able to go back to sleep. And I showed her what I started writing. And I read it to her, and she looked up, or I looked up, and, and her eyes were welled up in tears. And I said, what's up? And she said, you need to write a book. I, and I, I kind of brushed her off. Yeah, right, that's what I'm so later that night, or the next day, I went to my mother's house, and my, my wife said, read what you wrote to your mother. And I had it on my phone, and I read it. And my mother looked at me and said, you need to write a book. And I was like, well, the two most important women in my life are telling me I need to write this book. Let me give it some consideration. At the time, my wife had hired Neil Donald Walsh, the author of Conversations with God. Yeah. He was our coach at the time. Wow. And so we were on the phone with him for our first session. And he had asked me, he said, what are you up to? And I said, oh, interesting that you should bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 this is what I do. And, and lately I've had these, these words coming to my mind in the middle of the night. And uh, my wife and my mother just said I should write a book. And he said, well, when are you going to have it done by? And I said, I just threw out some arbitrary date. I said, October 1st. He said, great. Rule number one of writing a book, make a deadline. Rule number two of writing a book, keep the deadline. So I'll make you a deal. If you write this book and finish it by October 1st, which, by the way, was like three months from the actual date of the conversation, if you write this book and you, fin you meet the deadline, send it to me and I'll read it. And if I like it and think you have a powerful book, I'll send it to my editor. And now my wife and I are on the phone, and my wife is on mute. Like, her mind is blowing and exploding at the yes. time, going, did Neil Donald Walsh just give you an opportunity to read your manuscript and publish your book? And I was like, we were like miming it to each other. I was like, yo, I got to pay attention to what he's saying. Right. And so... After we hung up, I was like, I should have said, like, next year. What the hell was I thinking three months from now? Right. And I was like, all right, listen, if I just gave you my word and my mom my word and Neil Donald Walsh my word, I need to, fix, I need to get this thing pumping. But I thought, oh, I'll just wake up in the middle of the night and follow these inspirations. <laughs> and then at the moment I committed to doing it, it all dried up. And <laughs> So I was like, oh, no, right, mastery, discipline, commitment. You got it. And so I woke up every morning, and I would clear my schedule, and that was my priority time. And every morning I would sit in front of the computer, and I would write, and I would write, and I would write, and that was my priority time. And it was, a, it was a, you know, sluggish at first, but then that momentum hit. And yeah. then I remember I was about halfway through, and I remember thinking, wow, there's something here. And I thought this was going to be like this divinely inspired manuscript, but it really, it, it started that way, but really actually became, no, this is something that I, I must master, and I must master the system, and I must prioritize and discipline the, the, the focused attention to it. And then it became, uh, it became this manuscript. I read it to my wife. I, I met the deadline. 
I sent it to Neil Donald Walsh, and then it took him months to reply, and he uh, sent me a, a, an email on Thanksgiving. I was at my mother's house. He said, you have a powerful book here, and uh, I'm sending it over. And I remember looking at my wife like, what just happened? I can't believe this just happened. I had no intention of doing this, but the moment I got clear and committed to it, it really it led me down a process that really opened up something that I, I, was, I didn't even know was available at the time. Well, walk us through that. What is it? What, what, was, the, what was the biggest takeaway of the book for you? Biggest takeaway of the book was, I would say, actually blending those two principles of masculinity and femininity. Huh. And because the uh, uh, original part was this like feminine inspiration and go with the ah. flow and follow it and see where it leads you. And I was like, this is great. I'll do this all day long. Right. I'll wake up in the middle of the night. I could set my life. I wake up whenever the hell I want. And I was like, oh, I could just follow this. But then that initial like feminine uh, inspiration and creativity then just, okay, great, stop. Barrel, barrel down now and, and pull through. Stop. Yep. Now what you need to do is you need to be disciplined, consistent, committed, do repetitive, the same thing, over and over again. Even if you don't like it, even if it doesn't feel good, you need to sit and you need to write over and over. And, and at first, it was like I was more resistant to that aspect yep. of it. And then the surrendering commitment and the surrendering to the mastery of the process yeah. once that momentum clicked it was now like oh uh now just let the floodgates open and to me it was really that harmonizing of inspiration and discipline surrender and and systems and i think in my opinion and what i found is that that flow state comes from the harmony of surrender and discipline yeah, and when they when they harmonize, we we could produce something magnificent. You work through resistance, and there's resistance in everything. And there's always like, I'm not good at this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to sit down and do it. But once you you commit and you work through it, you hit this this beautiful place where it's just like everything falls away, and it's just totally. like oh, I get it. I yes. know exactly what needs to happen. Yeah. It's that like matrix kind of experience and yeah. phenomena of like I can I could see what's coming before it's even yeah. coming, and I think there's this element of you know, when you, that comes from surrendering to that commitment, like you said, like, let me just choose it. Let me just choose it. Let me choose all of it. Yep. Choose the resistance, choose the possibility, yes. choose the anger, and smile, choose, and smile, it. choose yep. all of it. Yep. Take full responsibility and just throw yourself all into that commitment and watch what begins to happen because that's what develops mastery. And eventually mastery becomes embodiment where it's just, this is who I am. This is what I do. It's deliberate, it's authentic, it's intentional. Over time, mastery requires discipline and consistency and commitment. Mm -hmm. But over time, begin to embody it. Yep. Like a black belt has to go through that process of mastery. Yeah. But once they're a black belt, it's not it's like, just, oh, I'm going to lose. It's built into their nervous system. Now it's built in. Now yeah. it's built into their neurons. Yep. You can't undo that black beltness. It's embodied in who they are. Beautiful. Anything, um, as you're writing the process, was there any big aha moments, epiphany moments where you're like, this is an, an essential part of the process that I hadn't been aware of before? And not, not necessarily the, the book writing process itself, but the content of it. There was, um, when I first 
well, that first initial inspiration, uh, that was actually what, what is now the dedication. And I actually dedicate the book, even though it's called New Man Emerging, I actually dedicate it to the divine feminine. feminine. That. Yeah, I, de- I dedicate that, that as we as men really undergo this process of healing and this process of reharmonizing, then it, it, it makes the world safer. It makes our women safer. It, it reprioritizes and recalibrates that, that divine feminine energy in our life, which to me is, I mean, the greatest expression of that is nature and Mother Earth. We'll go from taking and exploiting resource to actually reharmonizing it. And that's where we, we come together and have this, uh, this, this sustainability and cooperation that it's going to require us if we're going to survive as a species. So for me, that initial aspect of like, oh, let me just skeleton out this book and skeleton out the chapters. For me, one of the biggest things was what, what actually showed up in the space in between, the creativity that came in, in between, you know, chunking it out and skeletoning it out. And I had this initial uh, understanding of what I wanted the, be- the book to be about, which one of the inspirations was actually around my father passing away. And each section actually starts with a story of my father's passing. And the first part of the book is actually called Keep Your Death Close. And that was a philosophy that I really gained from losing my dad. Keep your death close. Rather, like in the West, we're like, don't talk about it. Put it off. Procrastinate it. You know, don't even talk about it. But here we are talking about purpose and legacy and living intentionally and with urgency, how would I be living if death was close? I think about it every day. Every day. And every I, day. I think as, as a dynamic man, like we need to be deliberate about contemplating. What is the purpose that I live with? What's the legacy that lives on after? And the first part of the book is actually keep your death close. It's actually designed to scramble you up a bit because we, we must use that as the ultimate barometer, the fate that waits all of us. Yeah. And what happened from my father passing, and to the content of this book, what, what was the big aha was framing it in such a way that this is all of our fate. No one can escape it. But what are you doing between now and then? And, and what's that's most important to what's you? What's going to matter? Yeah, that's what's going to matter. That's what's going to make a dent in infinity. That's what's going to echo in the hearts of you care about and love and live on well after you or well after this form passes away from me. Yeah, as we speak of fulfillment, and that's what it does for me, literally every day. There's a, an extended period of time often where I'm thinking about, it could be tomorrow, it could be a week, it could be a month, it could be 100 years, It doesn't, but yeah. it doesn't matter. What it does is it allows me to prioritize what actually matters. Exactly. It, it brings it to, to the forefront of my mind. I'm like, this is what's most important to me. If I was to go tomorrow, these are the things I want to be doing today. Right. And I think that really helps me find fulfillment and allows me to be present in the moment and really give myself to the things that matter. Yeah. yeah. And it also goes back to the question we were pondering before of like, if you look ahead and your ultimate motivation is to make millions of dollars. For what? For what? Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. well, what's that going to matter? Are people going to, at your funeral, say, uh, here lies Ben. He, he made... Yeah. You know, $1 million more than I did. Well, what do I right. care? It's, no one's going to say that. People right. are going to talk about the little moments that you impacted their life, that you adjust, helped them maybe seek a new understanding, adjusted their worldview, yeah. take on a belief that works. 
readjust their habits or transform their body, their health, right. their life. Right. That's what people this, are going to talk this, about. In my eyes, there's a new um, new man emerging. There's also a new entrepreneur emerging, right? It's like these people who are not focused on money. They're focused on impact. Yes. How can I make an impact on the world? How can I make an impact on people, on my family, on the people that are closest to me? And I think that's the new trend that's coming through, right? Isn't that's why your book is such a perfect, um, it's perfect timing on this. Is I, I really believe, and I hope to be part of it, that entrepreneurship will shift to yes, money will be a byproduct of my impact. How yes. can I provide service? How can I provide value to a greater number of people? And the money just comes. Like yes. you know, it's it's like yeah, money isn't the goal. Money is the byproduct of value. I would actually say if money is the goal, it's going to be a very rocky road. Yeah. If value is the goal, if impact is the goal, the prosperity is a byproduct of what I seek to inject and put and generate in the world. Yeah. And then I just simply price accordingly. But I think uh, if, if money is, money is a terrible motivator. It's a great uh, vehicle and tool for agency and freedom. Yep. I, I just think it's a terrible motivator because once you have it, you can make money without impact. But impact, that's what's fulfilling it and what, what generates that impact and that value in, uh, in our culture, in our family, in our lives. And I think I agree with you in the sense of there's this new entrepreneur emerging because it's I your actually next book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's actually happening, and I've said this for years, and you may uh, you may relate and agree, you really want a deep spiritual practice, own a business because it will test every corner of your psyche of your heart, of your, it will challenge every belief system yep. you've ever had. And I think actually entrepreneurship is a great spiritual practice when you actually use it the way you're speaking, deliberately for impact. The, it, the way that it'll shape relationships, the way that it'll force you to tr uh, create a new relationship with money and prosperity. And yourself. Oh my Integrity, God. Integrity, man. Everything. It will make you just re- uh, calibrate every corner of your inner world to the point where most people are like what the hell am i doing this for yeah. i could just go get a paycheck yeah and i i i just recently heard the two most addictive things in the world are heroin and a weekly paycheck because it's so like wow i could just have this level of certainty and i don't yeah. have to challenge no and test yeah. all these areas of me and i think you're ac accurate and, and incredibly right where this new form of entrepreneurship is going to be about consciousness cooperation impact value and the prosperity of it or the finances of it are going just simply a byproduct rather than the motivating factor i think it almost has to be right with the the transparency that exists with social media the the social media brings with it many many potential negatives but also some potential positives double-edged sword yeah it's and like that's a, it's life yes. right it's, there's there's you know the greatest blessing is also the greatest curse yes. Um, but yeah, I think the the beauty of social media, the beauty of the transparent culture we're stepping into is like people are going to have to do that, yeah. which hopefully comes with it a shift toward, as you say, consciousness toward, as you say, actually lifting people up rather yeah. than just uh, aggressively crushing people, which <laughs> I, th I mean, I think has happened, right? Yes. Yeah, and and what, we, what we must be honest about is some of the ways we're going about things are unsustainable. Aggressively crushing people, you know, right. uh, exploiting resource natural resource right. like we've got to come to a, a particular conclusion that hold on i think we as human beings must be the ones that intervene here 
in some of those old behaviors. And I think uh, entrepreneurship and the, the money system is a great way to do it because it's, it's what makes impact. I mean, we could all, if you think about it, if we all chose to buy natural foods today and stop eating processed food, that would alter an entire ecosystem. It just requires our consciousness and our awareness and to intervene in our old unsustainable behaviors. Yeah. It's funny. That's all it requires. It's funny. You speak of um, kind of being inspired with things. I woke up this morning with, it, with that exact message is like, um, you know, speak with your dollars, right? Yes. So like if, if, you're, if you're wanting to change the world, you have to use your, your purchase power to influence it. Because yeah. like, if you keep buying the things that are easy and, and you know, expedient ultimately, um, you're going to drive things that maybe in the future you don't want. But I don't think people think about that, myself included, right? Sometimes simplicity and experience is, is, the, is the deciding factor. Like what can do this really quickly? Right. But ultimately, is that what you're trying to perpetuate long term? And, you know, I hope that I can create a life that allows me to remove expedience from being the decision-making factor. I, I, I totally uh, relate. And I also think for me that's, that's a similar motivating factor of slowing my life down where that's not grandest consideration right. that no hold on sustainability is and uh, effectiveness is integrity is mm -hmm. delivering value is but if i am unconsciously speeding down this you know this road that i should be going down that is not going to be my ultimate factor but the more I could slow down, the more I could be uh, on this authentic journey, this authentic road, living that way, I have so much more agency to then say, wait, have I considered this? Yeah. Wait, what will be the impact here in my marriage? What will be the impact here in my community or on the planet? The more and more we can slow down, and this is very contrarian, the way we're pitched to now or, or conditioned, is that everything must be fast and convenient, and if it's not, it's not working. Yeah. No, that actually yeah. is contrary to mastery. It's questioning all your bullshit, right? <laughs> totally. It's like all the things that totally. I need, all the things that I want, you have to start slow down enough to question a lot of stuff. And I, I'm, I'm becoming so much more aware of my own bullshit totally. on a consistent basis. It's like, it I have to eat. Why do you have to eat? <laughs> I, I have to have these beautiful things. Right. Why do you have to have what? that? Says, Says who? who? Yeah, yeah. Says who? Oh, yeah. I've said that for decades. I just never questioned it or challenged it. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I am. And then the moment you say, says me, like, okay, great. If it works, yep. if it serves you, like you said, then you should keep choosing that. If it doesn't, you should try something else on. Because yeah. here's the thing. You know, you, you, just, you actually just said it perfectly. I'm telling people, my clients, everyone, you're making all this bullshit up. You might as well make up the shit that serves you. You're making it all up anyway. So if you were to just make up shit that serves you, then by all means. And then when you right. do that, run it through an audit of, well, what's the impact and value that it generates in my life and the people around me? So that's Great. the only thing I, I look for in coaching is someone to call me on my own bullshit. Honestly, someone who thinks at a level uh, beyond mine that when I have a conversation around the things I'm doing, they're just like, hey, that. Yes. Go deal with it. Like I, I, can, I can do it. I think I have the ability to go through the processes myself to change sure. myself. But I don't always have the highest level of awareness right. to, to be aware of my own bullshit. I tell my clients. There's your coaching, Mike. It's <laughs> like, I'm calling you on your bullshit. This is my offer. I, <laughs> I tell my clients all the time, you 
hire me to highlight the absurdity of your own thinking. Yeah. Because you got to understand, on our own, our bullshit makes a lot of sense. It's very familiar. Yep. You've told yourself a story for decades. You say that story enough, you're going to eventually believe it. Yep. You could tell me for a decade that I have red hair. After a certain point, I'm going to be like, maybe he sees something I don't see. Yep. So we do that to ourselves all the time. We ultimately just convince ourselves of something, like I said earlier, of an underlying assumption. But if, if, on our own, our bullshit makes a lot of sense. And then it just makes, becomes easy. Exactly. Yeah. And then it becomes familiar. Easy. Yeah. I'm not, I, we, we could debate that because right. there's some pain that comes with it. Right. But it becomes familiar. familiar. Yeah. And so in coaching or in mentorship or also too in groups of what I call uh, you know, growth-minded individuals, I, I, I depart a little from the you should be around like-minded people. I already know how I think. Right. I want to be around people around people that may disagree but are committed to growing. Common values. If you're just around like-minded people, they're just going to reflect the world the way you already see it. Right. So when you get around growth-minded, you start to see the absurdity of your thinking as you speak it out loud. You're like, I have had so many men in my groups that as they're sharing, they're like, I can't believe I'm saying this right now. This is absurd. I'm like, oh, good. I'm glad you see it. Right. And then they, they start to correct like, oh, you know what? Nah, screw that. I'm not. The other, I think, magic of being in a group and having growth-minded individuals is that one of the common, I think, misinterpretations of, especially men, is that on our own, we think that our gifts are common and that our challenges But when we get together in a group of growth-minded individuals, what we start to realize is that our challenges are common and that our gifts are incredibly And I think that's a huge shift and a it's big beautiful. light bulb for a lot of people that in isolation and on our own, we think, oh, I'm the only one that's going through this challenge. I'm the only one that's struggling with this. This is unique to me. No one can. Why would I ever burden or bother anyone? And you know what? My perspective and my gifts and the way that I look at things and the way I am with people and my... Everybody knows that. Everybody has that. So there's nothing really that makes me stand out or unique. And on our own, that isolation becomes disease and, and sickness. And we dig our, ourselves into that hole of our own absurd thinking. And eventually, we start to buy it as true. Yeah. And it becomes a, a challenge for a lot, of, a lot of people that, you know, that, that energy, I say... To time like that energy is going to come out one way or the other and typically if it's that bottled up in isolation it's going to come out sideways through anger compulsion and addiction yeah unconsciousness do you have daily or weekly practice to keep yourself uh aware of your own internal bullshit <laughs> yeah it, uh, you know i have i i believe coaches should have coaches yeah. so you know i have my coaches i have my teams and i i always ask uh, for feedback. Like, I always ask for feedback of, you know, making sure, like, did, did I do what I say I was going to do? Did I? So for me, a big, a big barometer of my own check, internal check, is integrity. Did I say, did I do what I say I was going to do? And so for me, I use my word and my promises as the ultimate barometer. 
And did I, did I, if I told my wife I was going to do something, did I do it? If I told a client I was going to do something, did I, do I, did I follow through? So my ultimate check is always my word and my promises. And I think that for a lot of people, especially that struggle with confidence, a lot of times their, their integrity is out. That what we think, what we say, and what we do, it's out of alignment. Integrity, the root of integrity is integrity, which is a whole number. So integrity points to our wholeness, that what I think, what I say, and what I do, that it all lines up. It's whole. That I'm in alignment, congruent. I think a certain way, I speak a certain way, I act a certain way. And in that integrity, I build self-esteem, respect, I trust myself and my relationships. I build effectiveness. I went into the future, this unknown, and I said, I'm going to generate this, and then I reshape myself to have it happen. So now I have evidence of my own effectiveness, my own personal agency, my own personal power. And so for me, the ultimate barometer for me is always, did I do what I say I was going to do? And I found that in my personal life, and also in the life of my clients, that life radically transforms and shifts and radically improves the moment when someone says, how come you did that? That seemed like it was really hard. When the answer is, because I said I would. Because I said I would do it. Right. And when that becomes your barometer, I think you put, like we were talking about before, the ultimate empowerment, authority, responsibility, you put that all back into your own personal agency. And now you become a man or a woman on I love that. And you gave me a beautiful lesson at the gratitude train that we went to. <laughs> Truthfully, man, I thought about it every every day. Right. And uh, just like, hey, if you say you're going to do it, you do it. And, and yeah. um, it's very easy to overextend yourself. Right. And say, yes, I can do this. And yes, I can do this. And, and that was always like, I'm going to take the weight of the world on my shoulders. I can right. do everything. Well, no, you can't because somebody's going to be let down. Maybe yourself, maybe somebody else. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And one thing that's come up for me in the last couple of days, and I'd love to hear you speak of this, is um, I think we downplay, as a society, we downplay the impact of our decisions. And uh, it's like, oh, that's not big, that big of a deal, right? And, and I think if you actually placed some weight on the decisions you make and like, hey, I'm intentionally making this decision and I'm going to stick to it, um, it maybe changes a lot of things in life. And this is, I haven't thought deeply on this yet, but it's come up in the last couple of days. It's like, what if the decisions you make actually, yes, right? Uh, to include the little stuff. And uh, again, it's so um, common in society to just, no, it's not that big of a deal. Just don't worry about it. But what if it was? And you said to me, uh, well, what if your kids couldn't eat? Like, would you do it? Of course, nothing would stand in my way. Right. And I love that framing. It's yeah. like, I, I want to be more intentional with my decisions um, so, and so that I know that they matter. To hear you just speak well, to there's, I, it's a, this is a very great concept that you bring up because there's typically, when it comes to our word and our promises, typically two camps. There's people that keep their word on the big stuff, but they break their word on the little stuff. And then there's people that keep their word to everyone else, but they break their word on themselves. Mm. There's those, those are typically the two camps. Oh, if big stuff, like I'm not going to cheat on my wife, but I am going to, I don't know, cheat on my tax. Like, I don't know. It's like, I'm going to do the little thing. I'll, I'll keep my word on the big things, but I'll break it on the little thing. Or I'll keep my word to everyone else and make sure that they're all happy, but I told myself I was going to do this for myself, but I don't really matter. Everyone else matters. And the, I actually talk to my clientele about this all the time and my students all the time. Is I want you to look at your word as your word. 
big little self other. The moment you do that and your word just simply becomes your currency, it becomes your barometer, little big self others, it won't matter. Because what happens is you start to live with that, that sense of wholeness again that I think I'm going to do it, I say I'm going to do it, and then I follow through and I do it. Big, little, self, or other. Yeah. And that becomes, that, that, that word really starts to reshape you as a human being because it's now your ultimate currency. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the expression word is bond. Like it is, it's a currency, it's a bond. Uh, Stephen Covey writes in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People that we have this emotional bank account. And that every time we give our word and we keep it, we make a deposit in our bank account. And every time we give our word and we break it, it's a withdrawal from our emotional. But what we're depositing is self-esteem. That I, I, I said I was going to do something, and I built resiliency, and I redesigned who I was to have it happen, whether it was big, little, self, or others. And I had it happen. That's an evidence to me. That's, that's proof to me that I have agency, that I'm effective, that I, I, have, I, I could build resiliency. And that is, it just furthers our self-esteem. How do you and avoid... It, and it influences all of our relationships. How do you avoid uh, saying yes to things that are in the moment inconsequential or maybe they're... Uh, you're kind of saying yes so they just go away. Yes, I like to appease them. Mm. Yeah, so most people, this is interesting, most people, if you think of like financially, most people, if they make a big investment, they're going to do first do a cost-benefit analysis. Hold on. What do I get? What do I give up? What's the, you know, what's the ROI here? Most people, when they give their word, they do the, they do the cost-benefit analysis. Like, afterwards. afterwards. Totally. You're like, oh, after. shit. Like, what did I do? Oh, shit. I said on Monday that I would do this on Friday. Well, now it's Thursday. I really don't feel like it. You got you to gotta be so present and effective that you do a cost. It's not easy. I know. It's actually, it's not easy because we're so programmed, like you said, like, let me just appease you and like, right. this will get I'm you out of I'm trying to avoid hair. conflict right now. I just, you know, I don't want to deal with this right now. Exactly. So how, how do you renegotiate that? Well, so I'm in a situation, you go, hey, would you do this for me? And I'm not in the, in the state of mind to give you a yes or no answer right now. How do you renegotiate that? Let me get back to you. Yeah. Let me give it some thought. Let me get back to you. The other thing too is it actually may be a great idea. But like you were saying before, is like, if I'm honest about it, I'm over leveraged now. Mm. But I don't want to miss out on this opportunity and I don't want to let them down. A lot of times pe- what people forget in the negotiating process, or at least in actually initial request process, is you have the answer of yes, you have the answer of no, you also have the answer of yes, but not right now. This is a great idea. This is a noble endeavor hold on, I have a priority that needs completion. I love it. I'm into it. I want to be part of it. My answer is yes, but not right now. Let me complete what I have. Let me clear something off of my plate first before I add something new onto it. This goes back to those foundations of fulfillment where I look at all the priorities of my domains and I look and I say, like, by taking this on, is it going to hurt or harm anything that I already currently have in my domains? The answer is yes, it must be then no or yes, but not right now. Let me complete this. Let me bookend this priority first. Then I'm all yours. This endeavor, I'm all in on. The timing of it right now, that's up to me to determine to do that you know, cost-benefit front. I've got to determine that now rather than just appease someone or lead them down a road 
where eventually I'm going to disappoint them anyway. Because I'm not going to be fully committed. And also, too, I'm going to be over leveraged. So I'm not going to be able to follow through on what I said. Yeah, man. Integrity is something that keeps biting me in the ass. And I'm so conscious of it um, 99% of the time. And there's these times where, like, shit, I said I was going to do that. I forgot or I didn't. And I, I get... Like I feel, I feel out of alignment. I'm like, man, this is not, you know. So thank you for for the lessons and and honestly for the wisdom on on that. And it's just, I love the fact that it lives in my heart, it lives in my mind every day. And I'm like, am I living in alignment? And I hope to, you know, one day can believe to say that I can, I 100% live in alignment. I I don't know that I do, but I I try every day, and it's it's my guiding light. Yeah, there's there's a valuable perspective of it too, because a lot of times people think that integrity is a moral or an ethical conversation, which it's not. It's actually an effectiveness conversation. That people who give their word and they keep it, they're effective. Very effective. Yeah. They're very effective. Yeah. And people that give their word and they, they break it are ineffective. They're yeah. not bad people. They're not immoral. They're not unethical. They're just over time, they're ineffective. And so what happens is there's a great, uh, my mentors used to tell me all the time, uh, you know, integrity is a mountaintop you'll never reach, but it's still worth striving and so, like, there's always another plateau of integrity. There's always another way of, like, oh, you know what? I'm in alignment here, uh, but I'm, I, you know, I sped to get here, so I, I broke my, <laughs> I broke my agreement with the law. So, like, oh, okay, how can I now adjust that and refine it? And so, it's not people that, you know, break their word. They're not bad people. They'll just be ineffective over time. And if you want anything in life, if you want to be successful and fulfilled in anything in life, you must be. A you must. There's no way around it. Mastery requires effectiveness. And so we, we've got to generate that in ourselves, but in the process of doing it, we generate self-esteem, we generate self-respect, we generate honor and dignity and trust and respect in relationships, right. and that becomes the new currency that we live by, which just constantly raises our standard, you know, our own effectiveness. If you think of it this way, people with self-esteem have resiliency. Resiliency is the ability to accomplish something challenging or, or get through adversity with your integrity intact. Mm-hmm. That you've gone through in adversity, you've stayed in integrity, or you've, you've remained grounded in your principle. And that builds resiliency, and that resiliency, self-esteem, respect, and power. Mike, you're amazing. Where do people go to men's group? To go to uh, my men's group is called Find Your Tribe, and it's on uh, michaeldesanti.com or New Men Emerging. So the book is on there. Uh, the book is on Amazon. And my uh, Find Your Tribe group, all my offers. Everyone go to amazon.com right now or to New, New Men Emerging and get Mike's book. Uh, thank you very much. for being Thank you. Uh, I, I really appreciate so it. So great. So thank great. You. And I hope we get to do many things again. Appreciate you, buddy. That's a wrap, ladies and gents, boys and girls. Thank you very much for tuning in. As always, I'm super grateful you're here. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, what are you waiting for? Head over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and hit that subscribe button. If you love what we're talking about, if you love this episode, if you love this guest, we always appreciate a five-star review. That's what drives the podcast. That allows us to grow, to continue to get amazing guests to help you support your greatest journey or in a body that you absolutely love and a life that is ultimately fulfilling to you. 
Thank you very much to be here. Thank you very much to Mike DeSanti. And if you haven't already checked out his book, New Man Emerging, I highly recommend it. Guys, definitely pick this one up. Ladies, if you want to pick it up for your husband, you can also read it yourself. It's truly a great, great book. Mike is helping a generation of men evolve into great leaders and great men. So shout out to Mike and shout out to Real Mushrooms for supporting the podcast, realmushrooms.com slash Ben and get hooked up with the highest quality mushrooms on the planet. If you don't know which mushrooms to use, simply start with lion's mane and reishi. Those are the two staples that I use literally every single day. I buy them by the truckload, it seems. I've got so many of them. Um, if you're somebody who's a little more advanced, get a little more adventurous, I would highly suggest you dive into cordyceps and their five defenders, things that I use on a regular basis, consistent basis. And I absolutely love what they do for me. Cordyceps seems to improve performance and improve endurance. The five defenders, if I feel like I'm getting run down or if I feel like my heart rate variability is starting to drop a little bit, I'll throw in some of the five defenders and, and watch my sleep improve and watch my HRV go through the roof. So thank you guys. Thank you, Real Mushroom. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you guys being here and I look forward to seeing you and being with you again on the next episode of the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.